Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and we would like to uh, welcome all our listeners that are tuning in with us on this date of April the third, twenty twenty. As uh, we have, uh, we started this series about sixteen days ago. Something beautiful happened. Actually, seventeen days ago, when when the Lord began put it in our hearts to to open up these podcasts and begin to speak about the things that are that are happening with the coronavirus and, and all the things that are going on to answer some questions. And here we are 16 days later, and so many things have happened, have transpired in, t- in these 16 days, brothers, where uh, now the, the, total, uh, the total cases of coronavirus has increased uh, substantially and in many ways the deaths and so many things that are taking place and here we are and we have been we have been hearing the testimonies of 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 people that have tuned into this podcast and and we give god glory for that that god is dealing and opening up eyes and this word has come to comfort others to open up eyes to 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 really cause people to seek the lord and ask themselves where are we? And and in reality, it is the word of God. It is the only place where we can find shelter, where we can find security and safety is in the word of God. And that's why we believe that these podcasts that are coming out uh, are, are, are doing that and causing the people to think, to analyze, and to see what, what God is saying. So we praise God for that today. And so we're so happy to have each and every one of you with us today. And we pray that you have your Bible with us, that you would follow us. Because I believe today we're going to be, again, coming again and speaking about some things that are are going to enlighten and, and help us to understand a little bit better what is taking place, the reality, what God is saying. And so I'm excited. Without further ado, also, we're grateful to have our panel today, Brother Fernando and uh, Brother Marty. So good to be with you, both men of God, and be able to continue to share the word of God and to declare what God is saying. Brother Marty, I'll leave it with you at this moment. Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be back again. Day 16, six, 16 hours, has it been? 16 hours or counting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, as we're been... <laughs> We originally were just going to just get together and have a conversation on that first hour, but but the Lord has got a hold of us, and, and, we're, and we're excited about what he's what He's allowing us to do, and we pray that um, that you're blessed today. Are you all ready? Amen. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, we oh, are. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, go ahead and jump in anytime you want. We're going to be coming again today from John chapter 12. Yesterday, we concluded uh, with Mary uh at the feet of Jesus and we've been talking and laying out the premise here that it that uh and, and trying to bring some light as to what we believe is actually transpiring in our times as we are all uh all over the world suffering uh a a, a global lockdown as the result of a sickness of a pandemic that is sweeping across the globe it has literally uh caused the shutting of synagogues, churches, mosques, even the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is shut. And we began to seek the Lord over these things, and, and he began to 
to, we believe, direct us in a particular way uh, to see and to glean from his word what it is that we believe that he's trying to say. It is with that in mind that we, we ended up in, in John chapter 11, which is the account of, of, of a sickness that came and, and ultimately led to the dying of, of Lazarus. And what was unique about that insight that the Spirit of God, we believe, has been giving us is that, is that we began to see also that it, it, it took place just ahead of the Passover. In the Western right. church, they call it Easter, right? Uh, the Jewish people call it the Passover, which is the account of the deliverance of the children of Israel from slavery out of Egypt, which would begin their journey to the Promised Land. So we noted that that just as in that time, so we see to, to seem to be having the same pattern unfold. That is that we have witnessed a sickness, even as that generation did then, just before Passover, that has literally resulted in, in a death or the death of many. And we need to understand how it is that God speaks, because, you know, he speaks in amazing ways. And, and the way that he speaks is to get the attention of everyone. And we need to recognize that when events like we're witnessing right now begin to transpire, we have to take note of certain things. As we pointed out earlier, you know, this pandemic isn't just affecting one particular geographic territory. It's over happening over here. It's happening over there. No, it has now swept the entire planet. That has never happened before, where the entire right. planet is on lockdown. And that is why we went to the Exodus and we began to look at that because in Exodus chapter 10, verse 21 through 23, it talks about a, 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 a darkness that came upon the earth, a plague of darkness that caused everyone to have to be shut in their houses. And there was light only in the houses of the children of Israel. And so we, we, we look at those kinds of patterns. We look at those kinds of, of prophetic lenses is what we've, we've come to call them. Because the Bible teaches us that when you look and reflect on the historical stories of the Bible, also understand that it's a principle of scriptural interpretation that you take the literal story and know that it is a foreshadow, if you will, of the end time. Now, the Bible tells us through the prophets that God declares the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. So what you see in the beginning of any kind of historical account in the Bible, if you'll dig in by the Spirit, it will reveal to you the larger uh, truth of what will be happening in the end. So when you see the stories at the beginning, enlarge them, and they will become the prophetic unfolding of the end times. And so that hey, is where Marty, we have been. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, and and people are going to hear that we – uh <clears throat> bring forth this principle uh, that is found in scripture um, out of Isaiah. He declares the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, and the end, he declares it from yeah. the beginning. And this might be something new that the listener might be listening to. They probably heard us mention that throughout the podcast, because uh, and it's new to them, but it's a way that the Holy Spirit, um, and, and, I, and I'll go on to say, it's the way the Holy Spirit wants us to understand scripture there's another scripture that we also mentioned that says uh that the testimony of jesus christ which is his word right yeah. is the spirit of prophecy you know yeah. and, and so the whole word of god is prophetic in nature 
So there's people that yeah. might be listening and might be saying, you know what? I've never seen anybody explain uh, things that way or never learned to understand or search scripture in that manner. And, and a lot of it has to do because that's not what the, uh, this generation is hearing from the pulpit. So it might be something new to them, but it is what yeah. the spirit is saying and how he is revealing his word to his people and to his servants in these last days. So it's something that they, the listener has to pay attention to these principles that are found in scripture because it unlocks hidden truth. It unlocks hidden prophecy. And that's how we're able to glean from the story of Lazarus, things that pertain to our day and, and, and how things are, are manifesting themselves uh, in our day. And you can find those truths in the story of Lazarus. So I wanted to just bring that forth for the listener. Um, so, so pay close attention to what we're saying um, concerning yeah. uh, these principles and truths that, that we're bringing forth. And, that, and that's a, that's an excellent point because that is the, the the way that the scripture reveals to unlock the scripture. You know, when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, which which you can find uh, at the end of the gospel here, uh, it it says that he came alongside two guys that were walking down the road, and they didn't even recognize him. And and it mm. says there that 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 once he begins what he began to do to bring them to the point of revelation of him. It says beginning at Moses, that is the Torah, the five books of Moses and the prophets, he began to expound to them all the things concerning himself. So that's kind of what you're talking about as well, right? I mean, if you're beginning well, at Moses, about it. You go, think about yeah, it. Go ahead. Yeah. When you, when you think of the Psalms in the modern day church, people think of the Psalms as just songs. Right. But what what Jesus was using the Psalms for was to bring forth prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yes. So in yes. the Psalms, there is contained hidden prophecy, right? Again, but it has to do because we're not taught that way, uh, and, and yes. we're illiterate in many ways concerning the Word of God. I just want to bring that forth. No, and that's right, because now think about just that little story so that we can lay this foundation so we can get into because I, I have a feeling we're adding people as we go along, uh, and, right. and 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 they're going to be uh, they're going to be caught up uh, uh, as as we as we uh, go forward. But but that's a principle right there. And and think about what we're saying. When Jesus was risen from the dead and he begins to walk toward uh, Emmaus, uh, he comes alongside two guys who are really distraught because um, they didn't know he had risen from the dead. And so he has already risen from the dead and he comes alongside of them. And, and it says that they, they didn't recognize him. They, they didn't even know he was walking with them. And, and, and he begins to talk to them and begins to ask them this question. It says here, let me just read the scripture so people know what we're talking about. In Luke chapter 24, it said, uh, and behold, two men uh, went that same day, the day of the resurrection, to a village called Emmaus, which is from Jerusalem, which is about three score furlongs, a couple miles. And and they talked together of all the things that had happened, which is really where we're at, right? Because we're talking about the Passover. And that first Passover in Jerusalem when Jesus was there, that last one that he would attend, resulted in his crucifixion on Calvary. And then they buried him. Right. You know, three days later, he raises from the dead, which is which is in Luke twenty four twelve. But they didn't know he had risen from the dead. He hadn't appeared to them yet. So they're walking on this road, and they're talking about all the horrible things that had happened. 
and and in verse 14 it says and they talked together of all the things which which had happened and it came to pass that while they were talking together and reasoning that Jesus himself drew near and he started walking with them but it says this but their eyes were held back that they should not know him and he begins to pose questions to them saying what manner of communication is this that you're having one with another uh, as you walk and are sad one of them whose name was cleophas answered and says are you a stranger in jerusalem haven't you known the things which came to pass in these past few days what a crazy <laughs> question, right? like like he wouldn't know <laughs> it makes right. sense. And, he, and he says to them though what things See, it's a profound thing that he asks them first of all before we get to the principle is that is that is that they ask him are you a stranger and don't know but he asks them a thing which is much more profound than simply going what are you talking about he's trying to get them to understand and begin the process of what actually right. really did happen right so he's saying uh, what things so the lord mm. will always prompt thought in your head, Good. you know, mm. and and and, it, mm. and it's to produce a reflection. That's what he wants them to do for themselves. Of course, he knew what happened. He was the one that was crucified and buried and rose from the dead. Of course, he knew. So when he says what things, it's to give them pause so that they would themselves reflect, not simply on what they had seen, but what actually had happened. And he goes on to say, um, <clears throat> and they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, we thought he was a prophet. He was mighty indeed, and in the word of uh, and in the word before God and all the people. But the chief priests and our rulers they delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And he yeah. said, "But we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day yeah. since these things were done. Yea, and even yeah. certain of the women of our company they astonished us. They went early to the gravesite, and when they they did not, uh, and when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them, which were with us, uh, went to the sepulchre, and they found that it was just like the women had said. And then he said this to them: He said, "O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." Ought not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? See, this is the message that's going to be and is being unfolded and brought forth to the church in this hour as well. And we'll get into that just in a second. But he says in verse 27, it says in verse 27, so what does he do? He begins at Moses and all the prophets, and he begins to expound to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, this is the principle that we're talking to you about. The Lord himself begins in in the first five books of the Torah, which he calls the books of Moses, and there begins to preach about himself. Well, if you just read the books of Moses from Genesis to, to Deuteronomy, you won't see one mention of the name Jesus there. But you right. will read a story, right. right? You will read a story about Abraham taking his son, right, up to the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice, you know, his only son. Well, Jesus probably went to that story and began to say, you know, that was a type of me, you know, that that, that the father was like the father God. I was like Isaac, his only son, and I went to be offered. And you can see me because there was a ram that was caught in the bush, right? That was me. And he begins to to tell him all this stuff. 
And it's the right. same principle of interpretation that is first taught by the Lord that we're using today. Because that brings us to Mary. And for those of you who have been with us the last 15 hours and the last several podcasts, you know what we've been talking about Mary in John chapter 12. That that she represents something, and we talked about it at length the last two podcasts, but there's still something here that we need to look at. In John chapter 12, verse 3, she does something. We talked about that. She she opens the alabaster box and she pours oil or perfume ointment on Jesus' feet in John chapter 12. And as we talked about before, the there are two other places in the other Gospels. One is in Matthew's Gospel. One is in Mark's Gospel. You'll find it in Matthew 26 and in Mark 14, the same story that we're talking about today. Lazarus has risen from the dead. Jesus performs this great miracle. And what we've been asking and trying to answer is many people have asked, what is going to happen out of this pandemic? What is going to happen? And we believe that the story of Lazarus just before Easter or just before Passover is quite possibly a a a, a, a prophetic event that speaks to our time because we see the same thing happening. And that this right. pandemic is, is not unto death because there will be a resurrection. And we talked about Lazarus representing a group of believers that have long ago, in in essence, died, if you will, uh, to 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 a relationship with Christ, because they found no relationship when they went searching for him in the establishment church. It became corrupt. Lazarus dies, and and yet, as Jesus would tell Martha in John chapter eleven, he says, he says, did I not tell you that? Even if a person was dead, though he were dead, if he believes on me, he will live again. And so what we believe this pandemic is doing is awakening that deepest part of so many people who have known the Lord. But for all, like I like to say all the time, all intents and purposes, he, they have died spiritually in a sense. They've literally died. But these events, this pandemic, that sickness that overtook Lazarus, if you will, once they hear the voice of the Lord through it, it reaches into the tomb of their own despair, if you will, and, and causes them to come alive, right? And so we believe that coming out of this and what's happening right now, because we've heard testimonies already, all the way into New yeah, York, yeah. all the way into San Francisco and everywhere in between, people have been talking that they've been experiencing or passing these messages on to other people of the word of God and the coming of the Lord. And it's causing many people to, to begin to pause and begin to reach out to God. And, and so that is kind of what we're saying that all over the world, not our message, just because we're talking about it, but all over the world, this is happening. God is stirring his people and those that were dead are about to come back to life, so to speak. And so Amen. we take it from there and we go to, to, to John chapter 12, because Lazarus is, is awake He's now alive, and we, and as we've discussed before, his resurrection began to cause a separation between the true and the false. Because what began yes. to happen after that is that the establishment church, which is Caiaphas, the chief priests, and all those guys, they begin, because of this event, to plot how they can finally, once and for all, kill Jesus. And the thesis of what we're saying is that is coming out of this pandemic is going to be a church that emerges that is a glorious church and a church that goes on to fulfill its destiny in becoming that church that falls away. 
And I believe that's what we see in, in John chapter 12. See, the Mary event in John chapter 12, when she pours the ointment on his feet, it reveals so much. And we need to continue to reflect on it so that we can, so that we can still gather more information. See, she represents uh, also a new church that is being formed. She's going to have four components to her. Remember what we said, that when Jesus is sitting at the table, after Lazarus has risen, we're only a day and a half or so away from the Passover in this historical account. He's about to be crucified in a few short days. But there's this event that takes place. He comes back to where he rose Lazarus from the dead, and he goes into Simon the leper's house. He was no longer a leper. He had been healed, but they used to call him Simon the leper. He was now Simon the cleansed, really. But Simon, they're in Simon the leper's house, and, you, and the story uh, reveals in Mark and in Matthew uh, that there were uh, the four components that were in the house. So you have Simon in the house, who used to be a leper. You have Martha, the servant. You have Lazarus, the one resurrected from the dead. And then you have Mary, the one who always, like Brother Jeremy pointed out yesterday, sits at Jesus' feet. But now you have all four together in the house. And so what we're saying is that coming through this pandemic, a church is being assembled. It's a spiritual church. You're not going to be able to point and say it's over there or it's over here. Not at first, at least. And if you are able to do that, it will only be for a brief time. But it's going to be made up of these four components. Remember, Simon the leper, leprosy, as we talked about before, it is a representation of sin because it eats away at the extremities, just like sin does. So in a sense, it represents that there are going to be people that are still bound by sin or whatever it is, saved and unsaved, that through this thing, because it's this thing of this sickness and pandemic that, that set in motion all these things and brought these four together, we're going to see people who are saved and unsaved be healed, delivered, and set free by the Lord. And they're going to be in the house, and Jesus is coming to them. That is one component of this new church that's going to emerge. Secondly is Martha. She's the, she's the servant. But remember in John chapter 11, she's the first one that heard that Jesus was coming to raise her brother from the dead. So she goes out and meets him. And he reveals to her that something new is about to happen. Your brother's about to come out from the grave. But because she's known as the servant, because she's always serving if you actually study the scriptures, she, you know, in a sense, re represents those who had advanced notice of these events at a time that God would begin to reveal to his servants that he's coming. And she, in turn, will bring the message to the Mary church. The married church is her sister, and if you read in John chapter 11, he, she comes to her secretly and says, Jesus is coming. He's coming to help Lazarus raise from the dead. And then, in fact, he raises him from the dead. And all four of them are sitting in the house. They represent uh, a, a fullness of what this glorious church is going to look like. And Lazarus is sitting at the table, and they're all eating meat, and all these things are very symbolic because the meat represents the meat of the word. It means that this group of people in this last days is going to have the Son of God sitting at the table with them, if you will, and, and, and what they consume will be the meat and the deeper things of God.
One of the things that we need to also understand is the climate. What do you mean by that? Right. Right? Understand that behind the scenes, events are in motion in their time and in ours. Many people are are moving, if you will, as, as how was the best way to say it? It's like chess pieces on a chessboard. They are being positioned for the final few years of human history under the coming of the Lord. What is actually taking place in this pandemic we have been putting forth could very well be the switch that has triggered the onset of days that will lead us into the tribulation period. It could very well be that we're on the fringes and the outskirts of it now. And we say that, and you need to go listen to these podcasts when you have a chance, because we don't have time to get into all that today. But we say that because of global events that are transpiring right before our eyes. The Bible tells us in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, that such a time as this would come, and that there would be two kinds of people within the church. One would be the wise who will understand, and the other are classified as the wicked who will not understand. And we're going to see this now as we get into John chapter 12, verse 3. You have anything to say before we go there, guys? No, you, you uh, spoke about the, the chess pieces, the, the manifestation of uh, uh, what Paul called in Romans 9, the vessels that are fitted for destruction and those that are prepared unto glory, right? He said, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his yes. power known endure with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, right, which he had before yes. prepared unto glory. So that's what you're talking about. What we're seeing here is that everybody's eternal purpose and destiny whether it's for good or evil, is about to manifest itself in this time. So yes. if you were destined, and whatever decision you made, God already knows it, right? And we won't get into all that, but but everybody is going to make a decision of what they are about to do with Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Right? That's, and that's what, what we're, we're saying, forth right? Here. Yeah. yeah, and it comes exactly. it comes out of that sickness and death, right? Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, that's that's the point I wanted to make uh, as you go, yeah. go going on to the next point. Okay, so 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 he said it really well. So also it it sets in motion a whole series of events. Now remember, everything that's transpiring in the original story is fulfilling prophecy. It's fulfilling right. prophecy in that it was said that he would be betrayed. It was said that he would be crucified. It was said that he would raise from the dead. But the spirit of prophecy in the in the in the story as it unfolds historically, as we've been putting forth, also teaches us something that we need to pay attention to because it foreshadows the remainder of the prophetic scriptures, like the book of Revelation like the unfulfilled passages in Isaiah and Hosea and Joel and so forth and so on, all of them were pieces to the puzzle that now by the Spirit of God, as we've entered into the times we find ourselves in, quite possibly, we are now being able to gather the pieces and begin to assemble them by the Spirit. And this is where we are today, because coming out of this event, 
we are going to see the same thing happen that happened at the time that Lazarus rose from the dead just before the Passover. And I think that God is trying to get the church's attention in this country by having these events happen, not only around the world, but come to rest lastly on the shores of the United Mm -hmm. States of America. Because our churches saw this pandemic coming as it circled the globe and came to rest here. And, And then immediately the doors were shut. And so that they could no longer go into their churches. It was as if God was saying, I no longer want to mess with you. You have lost the right for this period of time to stand behind pulpits and continue to further not only corrupt your nation, but to disseminate that false gospel you've been disseminating for the last 30 years and corrupt the rest of the world. I don't want your churches open while this pandemic is happening around the world so that you can mess with them with your false prophecies and your false words. Hello. Incredible. Incredible. And 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 so and so he shut the door. Now, out of this, we have a Mary, Lazarus, Martha, Simon church being formed. All these components are being formed, and and it's it's as if they also represent the four gospels. You know, Simon the leper, Martha the servant, you know, Simon could represent the gospel of Matthew because it speaks about the cleansing power of the Savior and the healer that would come to Israel. He's he's called Simon as if he by his Hebrew name, which is Matthew is primarily used to uh, to to speak to the Jewish nation. Mark is 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 presenting Jesus as the servant. And that's what Martha was. She was a servant. Luke uh, uh, presents him as the son of man and the Lord over creation. And that's why we see Lazarus, because he spoke in the natural and raised him from the dead. He's Lord over creation. And then finally, Mary is the greatest of all, in my opinion, for she is all three and herself rolled up into one, and she reflects this last day end time church in such a spiritual way. And in many ways, John's gospel, though they all are, of course, the word of God, is the most esoteric, the most spiritual of all the gospels. And that is why, I hope I haven't lost you, and that is why, that is why we see all four, all four of these come together as Mary begins to do something which we've been talking about. She takes the ointment and she first anoints Jesus' head. And we were putting forth that, and and you'll find that account, because John doesn't mention the head, the anointing of Jesus' head. He only mentions the anointing of her feet, of, of his feet by her. And we began to show you that we believe that what was actually happening at a very deeper level was that, was that the Holy Spirit was having her do this most holy act. But only two parts of his body received the perfume, the head first, then the feet. And what we were saying is that in so doing, what was being prophesied is that the head of the church, Jesus, would have to suffer and die on Calvary and be resurrected, and he would be the first to go through this. But her very act of anointing his feet 
we have put forth is a prophetic foreshadow of the end-time church who will go through the same thing. This is where people don't like to hang out with you after you say something like that because they get afraid, right? Yeah. Because, yes, you did hear what I just said. Right. At the time, like we were talking about, Jesus is the body of Christ in this story. There is no church yet. He is the church. He's the whole thing in one body. He's the son of the living God. But when he rises from the dead, the church is born. All who believe, right? They they become the church. They become his body. And so it was a very holy and powerfully symbolic act when Mary anointed the feet as well. First the head, then the feet. Now, let's dig in here because for act of worship being twofold, the head and the feet, and you can find this in your Bible. You can look at and find it in Mark chapter 14. You can find it in Matthew 26, where they add the additional information of her anointing his head. John, he doesn't mention that. And I found it very unique that John didn't mention her anointing his head. But comparing spiritual things with spiritual, we have to reflect on why is that? Why didn't John mention the head, only the feet? And there are many reasons why and many things that we can look at. But if you can receive it and if you can see it, when you look at the pattern of the great apostle John's life, you will see that it is only appropriate that he is the one who mentions the feet. Because the feet represent the final part of the body of Christ for the end time. And we talked about this anointing typifying a martyrdom. Because remember what Jesus says in verse uh, 7. He says, leave her alone. When they began to complain that she was doing this, he says, leave her alone because against the day of my burying, she's done this. In other words, she's anointed me for a death experience. And so the head would go first, but the thing John points out is the feet. So at a very profound level, whether Mary understood it or not, she was moved by the Spirit to fulfill a prophecy and to begin a picture that would be able to be seen by those who would be living at that time. He said, Jesus did, She's done this to anoint me for my burying. There were two anointings, his head and his feet. In essence, what he was saying is that Mary was elevated into a place of prophetic revelation. If you can see it and receive it, it's as if a revelation unfolded to her. She could have washed his hands. She could have, uh, you know... uh, uh, I don't know, you know, uh, uh, put perfume on his shoulders, on his garments. She didn't do any of that. But she did the head, she did the feet. So holy and so profound was what she did that it was a prophecy that the head would go first and in the end of time, the final part of the body of Christ themselves are going to be anointed represented in the full body of Christ while he was on the earth in his first ministry. Because we became the body of Christ 
after he read, resurrected. But it was as if the Holy Spirit was saying the entire history of the body of Christ will begin with the anointing of the head for burial, and it will also culminate with the feet or the last part of the body being anointed to endure a very similar trial. And what we talked about was that the act of Mary perfuming the feet, anointing the feet, and then wiping them with her hair, it was symbolic of the, of, of the final part of the body of Christ becoming that glorious church. And we say that because the scripture teaches us that a woman's hair is her glory. And so the very act of her placing her hair on his feet, which in, in the thesis we're putting forth prophetically here, is symbolic that the final part of the body of Christ will become that body, that remnant body, that becomes that glorious church and will be called to endure a trial for a brief moment before the Lord himself comes. Just as the Lord endured a Calvary experience, so we have had it foretold throughout the prophets that the end-time church will experience, if you will, its very own Calvary-like experience in that it too will be persecuted. It will be the very catalyst why Jesus returns, right? Unless right. those days be cut short, no flesh will be saved. But for the elect's sake, he will cut those days short. And where we are headed in the next few days, and we have to lay this premise, because what's going to unfold and what is going to be revealed to us is in the pattern of the Passover and what happened to Christ all along the way. It is a historical narrative, yes. It, it tells the history of what happened, yes. But it also foretells what will happen in the end with the final part of the body of Christ and will culminate with him coming in the heavens to rescue his church. Now, powerful, this, Brother Marty. That's powerful. Now, this, there, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Brother. No, I just, just wanted to say, say... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just saying no, okay. there's a prophecy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, we're all getting excited right here. We're all thinking. No, go ahead. Um, there's a prophecy that we find in Genesis, and I don't think it's an accident that it is Mary, a woman, who is wiping Jesus' feet at that moment. Because mm -hmm. it is fulfilling a prophecy that we find in Genesis chapter 3 when, when um, God speaks and tells the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, mm. it mm -hmm. shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel. So That's good. What we see, there's a, this prophecy is being fulfilled. It's not an accident that it is a woman that is coming before the feet of Jesus, and, and she got the revelation that it was, that, you know, Jesus would die in just a few days, but would resurrect. And so God is telling us, again, the principle, that Fernando, that you were speaking about, that he declares the end from the beginning. And so I just wanted to liken those and uh, see that parallel between that prophecy and, and, and what we see uh, Mary doing right before Passover. That's, that's really, really powerful, uh, 
And that, again, that goes perfectly right with what we're talking about, because we're, we're saying that what the prophets have revealed, what the Lord himself revealed, and in the book of Revelation it reveals, that the final church that will be alive at the end of time will endure a persecution, will endure some, will endure the most highest of price. Others will make it through to the end. But either way, it ain't going to be pretty. It's not going to be a, 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 a fun time. This is serious, profound, prophetic word that we are laying forth by the Spirit, and it needs to be heard, and it needs to be understood so that we may prepare ourselves mentally, spiritually, physically, whatever way you need to, to begin to prepare for what is coming. Now listen, uh, <laughs> she had an understanding of something so profound that was far beyond what we've ever basically uh, contemplated before. And I think the Spirit of God is bringing it out. What she represents by anointing his head and then his feet, like we've been saying, is that she understood by the Spirit that he himself, the head of the church, would die first. But in some profound, multi-layered concealment of the Spirit, only to be unlocked in the last days, something was hidden there in that she typifies the glorious church at the end or the the last part of the body of Christ at the end also being anointed for a Calvary-like experience, which doesn't end there, by the way. It gives way to a resurrection. But yeah. in other words, let's say it this way, she had a revelation of what was coming. And in so seeing this, I believe God is beginning to reveal to his church all over the world what's going to come in the ensuing days, months, and years ahead of us. I don't think we have that long. But we do right. know by Scripture that there are other things that need to be fulfilled yet. So we're trying, I think, in this, in this interim period where we're being locked in our houses and you can't go to your churches, we're playing a tiny little part in making these podcasts, but I know that there are others out there that are hearing the same thing. And that coming out of this, we will have a fuller revelation of the times that we're living in and subsequently uh, what is just ahead of us. And what was revealed to them and, and then enlarged to our time, prophetically speaking, and comparing Scripture with Scripture and primarily the book of Revelation as it unfolds, Mary had to break a seal pour out an ointment that would typify the head would die first and raise. Then would come the last part of the body of Christ who themselves would become a glorious church, but would also know that it has a mission yet to be fulfilled. It is revealed to her in that time, during that pandemic, out of that resurrection of her brother, in that house, just before Calvary. And that is what we're saying, that the Spirit is saying, the same thing is being revealed right now. Over the next several weeks, months, if you will, but out of this thing, a church is being assembled. And it's going to 
be made up of the Simon and the Martha, the Lazarus, and the Mary. And together, they will become that glorious church. When Mary does this, the entire house becomes filled with a beautiful fragrance. And so this mm-hmm. brings us to the next part, and we'll hurry through this because we have tomorrow to go to. But, but what it does is produce a beautiful fragrance. And that is what is coming out of the, this church. A new church is being born. A glorious church is coming out of this. It's as if God has shut all the doors of the mega ministries and the networks and all this stuff. I mean, you can go find them if you want to. But for all, you know, uh, displayed purposes, they're off the national stage. And it's as if it's been a, <laughs> a wonderful thing to me. Because it's forcing God's people, if they want to hear from him, they're going to have to pray, and they're going to have to seek him in his word and spend time with him. And if they will sincerely do that, he will begin to reveal to them that something is coming just ahead. And what is coming is what the Bible has all along predicted would happen. A new world order is going to emerge that will be headed by a wicked ruler that will be empowered and enforced by a wicked spiritual ruler that will then turn on the true church. We see this in shadow, if you will, for the larger end time revelation when they did it to Jesus. They betrayed him. They crucified him. But he rose the third day. The same will happen. A church will be betrayed It will be persecuted, but the Lord himself will come, and they will be resurrected, as the Bible predicts. Now, when the fragrance fills the house, that's when something happens. Because up until this point, consider this. No mention is made of anything else except for what we've been talking about. But once this act occurred, this this glorious church beginning to be manifested and the fragrance of the spirit beginning to grow, Judas is exposed. John chapter 12, verse four, then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, which should betray him. He said something so profoundly incredible. He says, why wasn't this ointment sold? And it it is so reflective of our times because we're dealing with the church in America. She is, if she's not the great whore of Babylon, she's at least one of her daughters. (laughs) Because she is, right? I mean, she has so corrupted the church world all over the world. She has brought them into idolatry. She has exported her, her fleshly false prophets. She has taken the humble intercessory, beautiful expression of the church of Christ in third world nations and turn them in to twice the child of hell they are. Just like Jesus said the Pharisees did in their day. You compass the land and the sea looking to make a proselyte, he said, and once you find them, you convert them and then you turn them into twice the child of hell that you are. That's what they've done. And so it's interesting we see that reflection here in Judas in that the first thing that he sees, he doesn't see the prophetic that we're talking about. He doesn't see the beauty of what's happening. 
he doesn't realize that a whole new thing is being born and reflected in the act of Mary. All he sees is an opportunity to make money. He, he couches it in the phoniness of pretending to be this benevolent guy, right? This good giving guy. He, like, you know, hey, I, all I care about is the poor. But he says, what a waste this is. See, the megachurch has long ago lost its identity, if it ever had it. And it doesn't really even understand when God is moving and when the Spirit is moving. He didn't see the value in it. He saw only value in the money he could make off of it. And that is what has happened to the modern church. It has become that Laodicea. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I have no need of nothing. Judas says, what is this waste? We could sell it. But the Bible goes on and says, he didn't say that in verse 6 because he cared for the poor. He said it because he was a thief. And he kept the bag. And he kept the money that was in it. Now, it is this presence that exposes the corruption, the reflective glory of God that's going to be placed on this remnant church that's being born right now as we speak, world under lockdown, spirit of God's moving. When we come out the other end, it's going to separate. It's going to divide. Remember, what's fascinating to me is that Judas has been in the house this whole time, right? He's witnessing these events. He's seeing the fragrance. He's hearing the Lord talk about, you know, so deeply prophetic. He's seeing the anointing of the head and the feet. He's there the whole time. He's even there when the presence and the fragrance of the Spirit fills the house. But once it does, he can't keep silent anymore. He has to manifest what he really is. And it's at that moment John doesn't mention it, but if you look at it in Matthew and Mark's gospel, Matthew 26, verse 7, Mark chapter 14, I think it's verse uh, 3 through there, he says that it's at that very moment, that very act of worship and prophetic insight that Mary has of what's coming, that it exposed Judas and the others, because it says the other disciples got mad about it too. And it says that, and what it reveals is that that very event that Mary, we've been describing, it exposes him and, and he leaves. You see, the kind of glory that's going to come out of this that we're experiencing right now is a glory of such a nature, hallelujah, that, that we're not going to, the Judas-like, compromised-like, sit-on-the-fence-like, half-in, half-out, half-baked Christian who really doesn't reflect the true nature of Christ, he's not going to be able to hang out with this church. It'll Amen. drive him out. You want to comment on that? No, no, that's good. Uh, I was thinking of the the, the the precious odor that filled the house. It's, yes. it's likened, or is a type of the altar of incense, right, That's that's before the Holy of Holies. And we know through the book of Revelation that the altar of incense is the prayer of the saints. And there's nothing more precious in the eyes of God than that sweet odor um, that comes from the altar of incense through the prayer of the saints. But the question is, what kind of prayer creates this odor? What kind of intense 
prayer creates this odor that reaches heaven, right, and causes God yeah. to, to really uh, act on the behalf of this prayer. It's, it's very simple. If, if we study scripture, it's persecution. Yes. Persecution is what's going to bring about this precious odor, a glory of the likes that we haven't seen really since the book of Acts, right? Since the book of Acts, and the first church, right? Yeah, yeah the yeah. first church. So th- this is what we're talking about. It's this kind of intensity, this intense persecution that, that I sense in my heart is coming our way. You, we got to go back to, to John where the Bible says that Jesus saw the, the Mary weeping. He saw the, the Jews uh, consoling her. Uh, and, and you would think that Jesus was excited because a resurrection was about to take place. But the Bible says that he groaned in his spirit. Mm-hmm. He, and was, he troubled. was troubled. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's if, if you if you are really hearing from God, I know the false church is saying exciting times are coming, but the true, the true uh, person that is hearing from God in His Spirit, He's groaning because He knows something is happening. He's troubled in His heart. Yes. Right. And yes. that's what we're talking about. But what that but but what that is going to create. Okay, it's going to, like you said, it's going to separate the 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 the, the, the true people from the pretenders, because yeah. the pretenders are not going to be able to handle this kind of intense persecution, right? It, and I I don't want to uh, go away from the subject, but even John the Baptist himself, yes, you know, found himself in prison and 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 had a moment where he even asked the question, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be this way. Right, he sent disciples to Jesus, to Jesus, mm-hmm. and 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 with the question, "Are you the one, or shall we seek another?" Yes, and that's really what Judas was asking, and he made it, it, whether he realized it or not, what he was watching prophetically in Mary anointing the feet of Jesus and prophesying of a generation, uh, end time generation that would suffer the same fate as Jesus, right? Whether he realized it or not. <laughs> He didn't want that, right? You're so, so he, right, he but left. Yeah, so stop right there because let's bear down on that point because what happens is what you're saying. The glory is produced on this this beautiful thing that she does, right? And, and we don't have to rehearse everything about the head and the feet and all that. But you mentioned persecution, right? As soon as that glory is produced, she's persecuted, right, by him. Yes. And the other disciples, yes. if you read Matthew 26 and, and Mark 4, it says they all grumbled at it. This glory was of such a nature that that it, it, it manifested the flesh and it, and, it, and it caused an attack to come against her. So holy, so beautiful, so pure is what she did that it reached beyond the event that was presently in front of her, in front of them witnessing what she was doing and literally what she was doing was forging prophetic history that was going to be right. unfolded 2000 years later our time right. and 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 Judas leaves when brother he leaves after Jesus says she's done this for my burying you just mentioned it with mm. John the Baptist he had a moment of wilting right he's like man yeah. you know I came preparing the way of the Lord. 
right? Make straight his paths, right? And the crooked shall be made straight. Every mountain shall be brought low. Every bow. I mean, that's how he was preaching, right? You know, his fan yeah. is in his hand. The axe is going to be laid to the root of the trees. That was his message. <laughs> and now he's in prison. Yeah. And he's like, what's up with this? You know, that, that, that doesn't mess with what I thought I was actually preaching. But he was preaching for our time, right? And so Jesus sends him and, and sends the word to him and, and encourages him in, in the prison. And then he goes on to fulfill his destiny. But, but in this sense, it's the same thing. When, she, when they're told that she's done this in order to anoint him for a, 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 uh, a martyrdom, a crucifixion that's just ahead, that did not jive with their kingdom now theology. Because they were exactly. looking for a, for a conquering hero, uh, you know, they were looking for a president, <laughs> a prime <laughs> minister, Come on a now. king, right? That's what they were looking for. And now we're right on the edge. We're two miles from Jerusalem. The whole nation is stirring. Jesus is the son of the living God. He's risen mm -hmm. someone from the dead. Blinded eyes have been opened. Simon is sitting at the table who once was a leper. I mean, these are all undeniable signs. And now they're like, this is it. The greatest revival we've ever seen. But he says, wait a minute. You don't get it. Yeah. I'm being anointed for my burial. And when you begin to tell the Judas mega church in our hour what we're telling each other right now, they're going to get up and they're going to leave. Because it Incredible. ain't what they want to hear and that's what he yeah. did and it says from that time in matthew 26 16 right he sought an opportunity to put an end to jesus now check wow. this out and we'll close we'll close with this where wow. did he go where did he go he went to yeah. the pharisees and the chief priests and the high priest and what does he do he wants money he wants material gain, and that's enough for him. It's enough to sell his soul. It's enough for him to sell his soul. But where he goes is really, let's put it in this term, he goes to Caiaphas and them boys, which are a state-sanctioned church system. They wow. are the approved religious system of the Roman Empire a type of that antichrist system of the end time, our time. Oh, and they are a state-sanctioned system. Understand this, that this false spiritual antichrist system, brothers, it's been under construction for the last 2,000 years. Yes, a bit, right. But what it's been waiting for, hear me now, is a Laodicean church. It's been waiting for a Judas-like church that under up under this message we're bringing, as we see it in the scriptures, humbly by the Spirit of the Lord we pray, that the glory that we're prophesying is coming. It is yeah. going to trigger something in that false church. They will not be able to abide the message. It is not something that they ever wanted to receive. They're all up and all up about being all up in money and materialism and self-gain, clothing themselves in sheep's clothing. But on the inside, they're ravening wolves. They're false prophets, false churches, compromised church system. 
coming out of this thing, brethren, the only thing that that state-sanctioned global religious church has needed to turn on the true Jesus and his people is a false church coming to it and empowering it by its very presence and setting in motion a persecution that is yet to come. Wow. The mega church, the greed-driven church, it will become fully lost. It's going to become, it's going to make itself one with the Antichrist system. Let's let's look yeah. at this really quick because the principle is in Second Thessalonians. Let's read it. If you can get over there real quick, brother. It says this in Second Thessalonians, and we're coming to a close. And we'll pick this up again tomorrow. We're going to go into Revelation 3 because Mary also represents the Church of Philadelphia. Judas represents the Church at Laodicea. And we'll talk about that if the Lord allows. But for now, remember what we just said. The system itself has been in power. Remember the whole time Jesus was here the first time, just before the Passover, as a matter of fact, and I think God's drawing our attention to it for that very reason, is that the chief priests and the high priests and, and, and the whole religious system was trying to kill Jesus. But it couldn't. Right. It couldn't until another component was added to it. It needed a Judas-like church. It needed Judas. And that is what Paul reveals in Second Thessalonians. He says, we beseech you, brothers, by the coming of our Lord and our gathering together unto him, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter in their, day, in their time that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, the judgment day that the Lord's going to return. He says, it can't happen yet. He says, don't let anyone deceive you by any means. Because that day will not come except there comes a falling away first, first, and that man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition. Mm. We had that falling away in type when Lazarus rose from the dead. After he raises from the dead, the very next part of the story reveals they have a council, right, a secret council. They begin to fall away. They begin to remove Jesus from their midst. They begin to seek how to kill him. And Paul is telling us the same thing is going to play out. And what we're saying is that even though they sought to kill him, they couldn't because they needed something else. He says that day will not come until there's a falling away first and the man of sin is revealed. The two components have to manifest. And we see that in what we're talking about there, in that Judas gets up when the glorious church is beginning to manifest itself, and he removes himself from that house and goes to where the falling away took place earlier with Caiaphas and the boys. The same thing is happening now. There is a whole framework that has been being constructed by the spirit of Antichrist over the last 2,000 years. Why is it that we've seen such an ecumenical movement take place just in the last four or five years? What is it that we've seen in this Pope in Rome who's trying to gather the whole, uh, you know, both Protestant and Catholic churches Interface, in all yeah. the religions? Do you see it? But there's something missing. Because the people they hate, 
are the people of the spirit. They hate the Marys. You can't control the Simon the lepers or the Lazarus. You can't kill them anymore. He rose them from the dead. You can't deal with the Marthas, the <laughs> preaching the coming of the Lord. You can't deal with them, right? <laughs> you can't. You can't handle them. They don't like us. They don't like you. They don't like me because they can't control us. And yet, there's only been one thing holding them back, and that's a a fully hyper charismatic Pentecostal, if you will, because Jesus. Uh, and his disciples were all in the house. Judas was in the house when this happened. But it's this very event coming out of this pandemic resurrection, four component coming together, glorious church thing, anointing of the head and the feet and all that we've been talking about, that suddenly produces the glory that triggers the event that removes Judas, who's really a type of like a Laodicean compromised backslidden church. And when he shows up, and joins himself with the system for gain, for monetary gain, which sounds a lot like Revelation 13, right? Where he says, the false prophet causes them to receive a mark that they might not buy or sell or trade. That's monetary. We see all the components being mixed in the soup of this betrayal. Brothers and sisters, what is just ahead is what we're describing. This false church is going to come, the church that's had its doors shut here in America and around the world, that, that hyper-mega church, the Hillsongs, the Bethel, the long-ago corrupted Assembly of God, Foursquare, and the others. I know I'm making people mad. The, the phony theologians of, of the Baptist seminaries who, who once thundered the word of God, but now they extract this word and that word, and they've caused the young, younger generation to even doubt whether the word of God is true. Or the phony Catholic Church that's, that bows at the knees of statues. And I can say it because I was born and raised a Catholic. I mean, we used to bow at statues and burn candles and everything but Jesus. And you just throw in all that other stuff. You've got all these preachers becoming part of an ecumenical system. The relaxing of morals, all of it has, has caused God to say enough. Now I'm going to begin to bring forth a glorious church. And while the doors are shut, you all are going to become out of this what it is you have been headed to all along. I have I have temporarily shut the doors in the hopes that in this Passover season, what you would reflect upon is the cross because your sin is great. But while there is still an open door, you can come to the cross and you can lay down your sins there and let him take them from you and resurrect you fresh and anew. It's sad to say, I don't think that's going to happen. I think a lot of people in that whole system are going to come out of this, and you're going to see these boys. They're going to get worse than they ever were. But there will be this glorious church. She has a prophetic revelation of what is just ahead, and so it will strengthen her through the trial. And when it's all said and done, she's going to hear the sound of a trumpet, and it'll be the voice of the Lord saying, Come away, my bride. Come away. Yes. Can you say amen? Finish us off, brother. I was reminded of Isaiah 1, 6, as the body of Christ represents the church. And Isaiah said this to the leadership of Israel. He says, from the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, and they have not been clothed. 
neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devoured in your presence, and it is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. And he said this, <clears throat> he, he said this to the leaders. He said, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Say, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Saith the Lord, I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who has required this at who has required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me, the new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot away with it is iniquity even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hated. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Our churches are closed. Yes. And I feel this is why. Because the body, the body of Christ is full of sores and and there's nobody to bind it up and heal it. That was the job of yes. the preacher. Yes, but yes. I believe that God, God is raising up a church, a body that he is anointing, right? And, and the way yes. he is going to purify it is through the things that we're talking about that are coming, amen? And he's going to bind it up. He's going to heal it. He's coming for a bride, right? A body yes. without spot yes. or wrinkle. Hallelujah. Lord, help us. Yes. It's God. Lord, help us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you know, uh, because of the rejection of this word. Didn't Jesus say that no prophet is accepted in his own country? And he reminds us, and he would say, I tell you the truth, that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elias. He reminds us there were many lepers that were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them were cleansed saving Naaman, the Syrian. And I believe that that Naaman, the Syrian, represents us too, a church outside of the establishment that yes. God is going to heal, that will not reject the word of the Lord, that maybe, maybe finds themselves like Naaman saying, man, do I have to go into this dirty river? <laughs> you know, but in the end, he, he obeys. And he dips himself seven times and he is cleansed of his leprosy. Praise God. See, that Mary is the fulfillment. She represents a church throughout the history that has come to that critical time right before Passover. And we are about three or four days, right, from Passover. Yes. Yes. It represents that critical time right before Jesus was to die on the cross, coming and laying at the feet of Jesus. And that's where God is taking us in this hour. He is preparing hearts right now. He's dealing with people that are listening, you that are listening. Right now, this is a time where God is taking you to a place of reflection. 
to analyze what you have been hearing in your pulpits and to analyze what God is saying now in this hour. Oh, my God. Help us. Yes, Lord. Help us to heed, Lord, the words of warning that you are giving. And as it's been, as Brother Marty has said, Brother Fernando, we are heading into a new dawn of day. We're heading into a new era, another dimension that is going to come out of all of this. A church that is apostate, a church, a Judas church, a Laodicean church, but also a Mary church, a Philadelphia church, a remnant church that God is speaking to. Let us heed. Amen. Let us heed to the words that God is giving us in this hour. We pray that you have been blessed. We pray that you would join us again tomorrow because we are going deeper in the word and God is revealing things in preparation for what is to come. But we yes. pray that God bless you. We pray that you are encouraged in the midst of all of this and know that God is also preparing a glorious church. Hallelujah. Amen. The spirit and the bride says, come, Lord. Hallelujah. We know that Amen. the coming of the Lord is near than we first begun, but there's just a few more weary days, and then we shall yeah. fly again. May yeah. God bless you. May God keep you. And keep looking up. God bless you.